0: It is Friday, it is noon, and you know what that means? That means it is time for the Friday 15, where every Friday at noon Central Time, we go ahead and answer your industry questions. I am Steph Lee, if we haven't met before. I'm the founder of Host Agency Reviews, and I'm usually the host for the Friday 15. So let's jump into the questions that have been submitted. And by the way, thank you if you have submitted questions. I I really appreciate getting them. It makes my job a whole lot easier and less stressful when I don't have to go around and try to find some questions. So let's see. Our first question today is from Nisha Patel. So Nisha says, over the last few days, I've spent a lot of time going through all of your wonderful resources. Yay! I've been planning travel for friends and family for the past decade, but just doing it out of the goodness of my heart. (laughs) That's really that's really kind of you Um, I would now love to do it as to do this as a part-time job but I'm nervous that I may invest all the time and money and it may not take off at all my biggest burning question is that I do not have a client pool at all most of all the people that I help book for are internet savvy with online travel agencies I've simply helped them navigate finding the best deals and putting itineraries together I'm afraid if I start my business They may continue to go that route if it ends up being more cost effective. So if I decide to take the leap and have no clients to start with, do any of the host agencies send jobs my way? I don't know if I'd be making a mistake in starting up if I have no one to book trips for. Uh, Maybe I should continue doing this as a charitable hobby for everyone. Uh, Any insight or advice would be much appreciated. So Nisha, I don't think you should continue doing this as just a charitable hobby for everyone. Uh, It sounds like you've got a great talent and friends keep coming back to you. So I would argue that you do have a client pool already waiting for you. Um, But I can understand your hesitations and your concerns. It is scary getting started and knowing if a business is actually going to take off, even if you have the best connections. So let's um, start with your first question or like with the main question. Will host agencies have leads that they can provide to you? And the answer is yes, depending on who you sign up with. So let me um, share my screen. I'm just, so what I'm doing is I'm just going to the website and I'm going to um, go to a profile. And so let's see, when you look on the profiles, if you scroll down um, under program details, There's a heading called lead program, um, and there will be a check mark if they have the lead program, and there'll be a red circle if they don't have it. There's two questions when a host agency has a lead program that you should be asking. And we have those questions as like subheaders there. And the first is, who does that lead belong to? Because the tricky thing is, if that lead program belongs to the agency, that's great because you can make the booking, you can get the commission. But technically, if you ever leave, that client has to stay with the host agency because it belongs to them. And the problem with that is you're not really building your business if you're just booking. You're kind of like a call center for them. So I would be careful if the lead belongs to the agency, thinking about the like long-term ramifications if you were to leave or if you wanted to like grow your business. Is that really doing that? Um, the other question then the subheader is do they charge for leads? And same thing, there'll be a green check mark if they do, and there'll be a red circle if they don't. So that's where you can find the answers. Um, there's also there's a little info bubble on the leads program. And if you click on that, there'll there's more information on the travel agency lead programs. So, We'll, um, it gives you a lot more information about things to consider with leads, and we'll link to that in the description for everybody. So that's the quick answer to that. Um, let's go ahead and dive into some of the other things that you didn't ask about in your uh, email, but I would like to talk with you about. So let's see. The first thing is this fear of your clients booking online um, because they find a better deal um the first thing is if if you're these are friends of yours like if they're not all of them are going to 100 percent support you in your project, but hopefully most of them are and they will want to work with you when you're booking with them if you don't feel comfortable charging um, a service fee or a consultation fee at first that's totally fine a lot of advisors don't charge those, um, their first years. And I'm going to link to, uh, Mary or April, could you put in the comments, the link to our fee survey? And you can take a look at that Nisha and see kind of how often, like what people are charging for fees and what years they start charging them. And you'll see that, you know, early on people often don't start charging fees. It's not until later. So having said that, um, if you're not charging fees and you're offering this service to your friends and family, which it sounds like you have been doing and they've been taking you up on it. um, So I don't know why they wouldn't want um, to book with you in the future. And there's actually some things that travel advisors can do that, that are not super well-known that they can't get with the OTAs. So there's two articles I'm going to post in our comments and on our descriptions. And the first one is like, three real-life ways travel agents um, can save you money that OTAs or online travel agencies can't. And the second is, um, let's see what it's called, three ways travel agents, no, no, no. Tra- using a travel agent versus booking online. So let me start with the like three ways travel agents save you money that the OTAs can't, because this is selling points for you beyond the fact that you are offering Like to do all the work for them for no cost. It's not going to cost them any extra. They're going to spend hours and hours researching. um, And what is their time worth? Having you do it for them and having someone that's an expert that does this on a regular basis is a pretty big deal. And if we factor in the pandemic that's going on right now and all the changes that are going on in terms of vaccinations needed and proof of um, you know which countries are open and what the requirements are for coming in and how quickly they can open and close. I mean, they'd be nuts in my opinion not to work with a travel advisor right now because travel advisors um, have spent have spent like weeks, like hours and hours and hours online. Are on, on hold with different vendors the past year as they're sorting things out for their clients. Those clients that booked with a travel agent that needed to get rebooked, they weren't sitting on hold going over things. They were talking to their travel advisor and their travel agent was the one that had said, you know, keep sending emails and was on hold the whole time. Compare that to like my friend Annie who lives next door and Annie booked her airline ticket just online and she spent like every night after work from like five o'clock to nine o'clock every night for two weeks trying to get her ticket rebooked to Wyoming after like the pandemic started. So those are some things for you to think about Nisha, but in terms of the three ways, three things that like travel agents can provide to clients that the OTAs cannot and kind of give you a leg up. The first thing is when you become a travel agent, you start to know really quickly that travel advisors can put make it so you can pay in installments. Now, there's there's lots of programs out there now that where people can pay in installments, but there's usually fees associated with it. There's some kind of an interest um, that gets added on. With travel advisors, what happens if the person is booking far enough out? So if they're booking a month before they travel, they're going to have to put pay in full. But if they're booking eight months out for their vacation, they can just put down a, po- a deposit and that holds their spot and then they put down the final payment it's usually a couple months before departure depending on who the um, the supplier is um, and some other details but that's something super cool because people don't have to put down the thousands of dollars right away the other thing is not only can you pay in installments with the travel advisors but a travel advisor can put space and pricing on hold, and that is incredibly important for people, especially if you're booking with groups and you're trying to coordinate among friends and family, and you need to be like, let me see if that works for so and so. We've all seen online if you book online, they'll be like, there's one seat left, or you know, you go back to try to book it, and it, the seat is gone, or the you know, the room is gone. With a travel advisor, they put it on hold once they give you a quote you can go talk to your friends and family and by the end of the day, get back to them and then you can either like let the booking go or you can put your deposit on it. So that's something really cool that travel advisors do. And the last one is for airline tickets alone. If you're just booking a solo airline ticket and the, the agent has access to a GDS, they can put that airline ticket on hold. And that means again, that it reserves the pricing and it reserves the seat so that you don't have to worry about um, any of that inventory disappearing or the price going up. If the price goes down, they can always let it go and then rebook it at the lower fare. So check out the article on freeways travel, I save you money. We also have a really in-depth article on the advantages of using a travel agent versus booking online. And I would really encourage you to read that, Nisha, to understand the value that you're bringing to the table and so that you can sell that value or tell that value to your friends and family. So I think, I think you're ready to go, Nisha. You've got everything. You've got your client base, even though you don't think you do. Um, you just need to become a little bit more confident in the value that you're bringing to the table. And hopefully these articles will help you do that. So thank you for writing in. Um, Next up, we have Ayana Phillips, and Ayana says, hi there. I've been reading your posts, and I found them very informative. Yay. I was wondering if anyone ever signed up with more than one host company. I asked because I'm having a difficult time narrowing down my choice. Great question, Ayana. I would say, first thing, no host agency can ever tell you that you have to work exclusively with them and only them. Because by default, as an independent contractor, you're free to do what you want. And any host agency that tells you that, I would walk away from. And the reason is, is because, like, if they're telling you absolutely have to, if they're suggesting that it would be better for you to stay with one host agency, that's a different thing. But the reason I would say to walk away from them is there's independent contractor laws. And if a host agency is breaking them, what that means is that opens them up to like the liability of being audited by. Um, they could be audited by the IRS. They could be audited. Um, I'm forgetting it right now, but there's another. There's another company. Another company. There's another government. Um, another government entity that also audits on um, workers' issues, and so. Anyhow, if they end up getting audited and it's found that you are being treated as an employee because they're telling you what to do, they could be charged tons of back taxes and fines, um, and it can really, really put the agency in a dire financial situation. So you always want to make sure that whoever you're with is treating you like an independent contractor. I'll um, put a link to our independent contractor, Ms. Flat misclassification article. Um, take a look at that so you kind of get a feel for what they should and shouldn't be um, saying to you. Um, but the other thing is, we do have an article just on belonging to more than one host agency, and we'll pop that into the comments as well as the description. And when when it comes to um, belonging to more than one host agency, you can belong to two I don't recommend it. And just in general at HAR, we don't recommend it. And the reason is because usually the reason people want to belong to more than one is that maybe they'll get 2% extra on Silver Seas cruises over at this agency. But um, at this agency, they really like booking the rest of their um, like cruises. Because of that, like that extra 2%, like I feel like it's, it's just not the dollars that's involved there. It's You're going to have to learn two systems. So there's, you know, everybody has their way of invoicing. Everybody has their like internal things, their internal groups. Um, belonging to two kind of dilutes your attention. So you're having to learn two different systems. Um, they may have two different airline ticketing systems. They Um, you're not going to learn things to the fullest. Your relationship with your staff, you're acting two staff that you're having to learn and kind of build relationships with. Um, And it's always helpful to really get to know the host agency staff. Um, It also can dilute your earnings with each host. And what I mean by that is if you're putting half your bookings with one host and half with the other, your host agency only sees half your sales, which means like If you were a million dollar agent, they're going to only see you as a half a million dollar agent and you may not be invited or considered for different FAM opportunities. There's a lot that opens up the more you sell. And so when you divide it between two agencies, it doesn't give your host a true picture of what you are selling and what your potential is. Um, so let me, I'll, I'll put that article in there, um, and if, as you are choosing, because you are having difficulty choosing between them, I'm also going to uh, give another resource on tips on choosing the best host agency for you. If you haven't watched that webinar, it's a great webinar that really walks you through things to consider and can make it so if you're having trouble debating which one you like better, it'll give you concrete things to be looking for. um, And you can weigh what's most important to you. And that can help you make a decision on one. So thank you for writing in Ayana. And if you have enjoyed what you have heard so far, don't forget to give the video a like or subscribe to our channel or podcast. And next up, and our last question is from Elizabeth Dyer. She says, hi there. Thank you for all your help. Your site has been a lifesaver and I'm only on day two. So it sounds like Elizabeth is taking our seven-day setup. Um, She says, I have created a long list of names that got chopped down to two to three. I've had trouble using my niche as inspiration since it's rather broad, independent travel for couples and families to U.S. and Europe. Ooh, the names I've narrowed it down to are Passion Passport and Painted Stations Travel. Neither of them hint at my niche per se, but is that a bad thing? What if I want to incorporate other travel later? Should I consider adding my niche in the tagline for clarification? I can't seem to come up with a good one. Any help is appreciated. Thank you. Elizabeth, I love the name Painted Stations Travel. I it, It's just really, it brings a vision to my mind, like as a super fun, adventurous travel full of like experiences. Um, So love the name, congrats on that. Um, And I don't think it's bad that your niche isn't in it. There's, you know, if someone tells you your niche needs to be in it, or your niche doesn't need to be in it, I think there is room for both ways, because there's pros and cons of each. So if you don't have your niche in there, like pain station travel, it gives you a lot of room to grow, because a lot of agents end up switching after their first year or two, they're like, I actually don't really like booking Disney or like I want to go beyond Mexico and the Caribbean. I want to start doing FIT Europe trips. Um, And that keeps the doors open for you. All you have to do is like really change the content on your website. You don't need to do anything with the name, which can be a huge hassle. Um, Now, the other flip side of that is the really specific uh, names. Say, for instance, host agency reviews, incredibly specific Wonderful for SEO, Um, really helped us when we first started the site, telling people what we did, helping us with our SEO. The problem is now we do so much beyond just host agency reviews. There's so many resources on the site, but people are still like, oh, you just do reviews of host agencies. Um, And honestly speaking, it's not fun to try to look at switching your name. All the things 10 years in that I would need to do, it's... Uh, overwhelming and not something I look forward to, but something we have to consider as we've been growing. So those are things to consider, Elizabeth, but I think it's totally fine with Paging Stations Travel because that's an awesome name. You could put the niche in your tagline. You could also just do a really cool tagline, and then when people land on your site, make sure that the content is telling them exactly what you offer and what your value proposition is. So Hope that helped, Elizabeth. Um, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. It is time for the weekend. And so we will see you next Friday, 12 p.m. Central Time. If you have questions or you'd like to see old um, or previous Friday 15s, you can go to hostagencyreviews.com slash Friday 15. Until next time, friends, we will see you soon.